Okay, my friends, welcome to the next episode of the Stream of Random Podcast with your host, Mike, Hacker Mike, Jersey Mike, whatever you want to call me, coming at you from my new studio setup here at home. So no more heavy breathing and no more walking sounds and no more crappy mics. This is actually a nice setup here. I have a Behringer audio interface, and I have a uh, one of those powered microphones. It's been sitting around. Uh, I haven't actually used it for a while. I've had it for 15 years. It used to be hooked up to an old Tascam. So, I guess we could still use the Tascam for a mixer. Anyway. Enough about the audio setup. I think the audio sound is actually much better now, so I'm hoping to um, do a great recording. So today we want to talk about, well, my father asked me to uh, record something on some topics I mentioned about homeschooling or online schooling. So basically, uh, and I think my school has done a great job in responding, my son's school has done a great job in responding to the COVID. Um, it was very challenging for them, and they pulled everything together, and they had a difficult situation. And I, you know, hats off to them. But in general, uh, and I'm not talking about my specific school, but in general, the the schools have been um, outsourcing their IT infrastructure to uh, third parties in a way that I find disturbing. From a perspective of a software uh, liberty or data uh, privacy uh, perspective. So uh, <clears throat> let's break this down a little bit. Um, so first of all, the data about your child, like personal information, and um, you know, personally identifiable information, and so forth, that is um, very restricted. And, and I've worked on projects before uh, in that industry. Um, it's highly regulated, and there's all types of um, there's all types of uh, laws in place to try and protect uh, personally identifiable information. The problem with that is the IT people, let's say the IT companies, or the, they're not even really IT companies. Like Google is not really an IT company. It's like a data collection agency, same as Facebook. They're really just data vacuums. Um, that collect data that you give them and then they sell it. They're advertising agencies, but really what they're really selling to the advertisers is your data. And the problem with the way the schools have been using the Googles and the Facebooks and all that is that they're really just feeding them more data and they're forcing us to feed the Google more data than we actually want to. So even if 
the school, that even if Google says that they're not collecting personalized information about you, they could be collecting non-personalized information about you. When they say that they delete the data about you, when you go in and you ask them to delete data, they don't actually delete it, they just disassociate it from your identifier. But then they can build up a profile of you that's outside of your personal information and just say, this is someone who we think has, is a person. We don't know who that person is, but we have some kind of profile on them. So they can build up a non-personal profile of you. And I think that, um, that the big data companies are using the school data that they're, you know, they're giving these services, they're providing these services to the schools. I think that if they're not building up personal profiles of the students, they're building up non-personal profiles of the students. And it's even more than that. Because the students are being sent to YouTube to watch videos. They're being sent to these different websites to play games and so forth. And those websites might have other opt-in um, measures that we don't even know about. And we don't even have a choice to opt-in or out because the school is sending us there for actually doing the work. So... We could have multiple angles, and they they could be having Facebook tracking pixels. They could have other cookies, long-term cookies set, and so forth and so forth. Or they could exploit cookies that were set previously. So there's all types of issues in terms of um, what type of data can be collected. And if it's not personal information, then it could be somewhat personal information, almost personal information. And... Once you have enough almost personal information and you say, okay, well, we know what school district they're coming from, and we know what class that they're in, and we know that there's only 50 kids in that class, right? But if you combine that information with other data, other profile information collected, um, the YouTube habits of the kids using your phone, etc., then you could probably link those together in a non-personal way, but create a much very detailed mesh profile of a person or a child. Um, and there's more. And I know for a fact that some companies, that they're not only like testing companies or uh, online input, like um, online uh interactive media companies, they're not only collecting information about what you do, they also collect information about how you do it. So they're checking how the mouse is being moved, how the keyboard strokes are being entered, and they're recording all that information to create a psychographic profile of the student. What is their response time? How long do they hesitate? How, how many times do they retry? How many, is the mouse moving or is the mouse not moving? And this type of data can be data mined to create an individual profile of someone independent of your IP address. Once you have a kind of psychographic profile of someone, just like the way that you walk, 
or your heartbeat or um, you know your speech these are all biometrics so these companies might be collecting biometrics on you in a way that you don't even know and there's more it's also you can identify a browser by via its pixels and its exact size and what fonts it has installed so there's all different ways that you can identify and collect data and as long as you don't associate that data directly to a person it's not personally identifiable in that respect but it can be indicative of a person and I think that's a gray area that has not been explored in any case our schools we pay them a large amount of money especially here in New Jersey they get a large amount of taxes and they well I have to say we live in an area where there's extreme poverty and I've podcasted about that before uh, so we have also federal aid for our schools we're a title one I, I think it's called school where we get federal aid which has its advantages and disadvantages um, so it's not only the taxes we're paying but also the federal matching funds to the schools and with all this money you would think that they would be able to create a self-hosted open source application for collecting and delivering collecting data from the students whatever courses and delivering um, content to them especially since um, there's so many open source alternatives out there there's ways to deliver content to people there's ways to deliver a video to do courses I mean all of this exists yet instead of being ready for the pandemic um, we're just barely scraping by with a minimum of foresight you know it just hits us like a um, hits us like a surprise it's like surprise we have to provide online classes but why is that a surprise even if you have a normal class wouldn't it make sense to provide the class material online anyway so they can do uh, supplemental uh, education or review and I mean this goes into the whole question of are our teachers producing content or are they delivering content and I know for a fact that um, my son's teacher was producing content like they came up with some content um, they had some interesting things that they made but they only have so much time and um, I suppose they might have their own repository or local drive full of things that they've done that they can adapt uh, but a lot of the content that we were getting were just YouTube videos or prepackaged material and um, we were being sent to external sites to uh, view those so I think um, that should change that in reality um, with all the money that we're spending on taxes with all the money collectively that we're spending on schools you would think that there would be some way to actually share content that we create or that we're paying for 
and have that content actually be reused so that we can come up with a, um, a shared repository of learning material. Now, I did, definitely did talk about this on my previous episodes about uh, mentorship and that in the end, I think the um, school system will turn into um, a common shared content library where people are also updating it or uh, uh, modifying that for local needs or special needs. But in the end, you're going to have a core set of um, concepts. Um, and I think some of these uh, homeschool systems or Khan Academy have done that in some respect. Um, I know Wikipedia has had multiple attempts at creating some type of curriculum. But let's just say we start from scratch. And let's say that all of this, not all, let's say some school districts would have just worked together and create a platform. And the thing is, is that these shared platforms, you could also share the IT infrastructure. Like, how many servers do you actually need? How much of this content is actually dynamically generated? How much does an S3 bucket cost you? And I did some episodes on this previously, where you can put your data into a S3 bucket, a um, static storage, simple storage in Amazon, and you can use CloudFront in front of it, and you can basically serve your content for very, very little money. So what is it really going to cost to um, store all and deliver all this content? And does it really have to be on a school-by-school -school basis? You know, um, if you can just rent some storage space on S3 and share that across a whole bunch of them, a whole bunch of... Uh, uh, communities. I think the cost will be negligible. So it seems to me that um, you know there's a lot of there's a lot of waste going on where content is being created but it's not being shared. If we were to just start sharing the content we create and um, owning it and instead of licensing uh, stuff, well, even if you want to buy it, let's say you do want to buy the content from a company because they're very creative, um, you should at least license it so that you can um, have a perpetual license and you pay for it. It's not per use. And I don't know all the dynamics of that, uh, but <clears throat> it seems to me to be a doable problem to actually uh, be able to create and deliver uh, content um, to students and have a finite set of them. I'm sure that some schools do that, like these uh, homeschools, there's different homeschool projects that I've read about. But um, I don't see why I should pay for a homeschool as long as I'm paying the taxes, and they're doing a good job in school, so why should I take my kid out? Um, but the point is, and I'm kind of rambling here, guys, but the point is that 
there's a large amount of waste going on where we're paying over and over again for the same content to be delivered, it seems. Um, due to lack of planning, maybe um, schools just say, hey, we can just buy a year's worth of material and it only costs us this much and it's a budget item and that's it. You know, we get the worksheets for 50 students for grade three and uh, that's a fixed cost and we don't have to worry about it. Okay, that's possible. And it's also possible that the content creators don't want to um, to give it to you in any other way. But I'm thinking that it's definitely possible uh, to do that. And even if uh, your content cannot be shared or it's limited in license, let's say that's the worst case scenario, and you only have a license to deliver this piece of content to this child, well, okay, that's still possible using S3 buckets, access um, rules and tokens where the student would get a login or token and then they would be granted access to view this and this and this and you'd have access logs to see that. And then you could prove that um, only authorized people had access to those files. So it's definitely something that could be done if that was needed, okay? Um, so yeah, I would uh, support and I'm assuming that this would have to be done as a uh, private school, as a private homeschool type situation that really we can't hope to uh, change uh, anything or the way anything works. Um, the only thing we can do is provide alternatives to a small minority of people who might want to um, change the way that they do things. Uh, so I guess that we'd have to imagine um, instead of influencing state or local uh, school systems, we would have to, you know, create our own online school, be something like a open source academy of some kind. But uh, that only makes sense if you have enough uh, people willing to sign up for it. So it's kind of a chicken and the egg problem. But I think if we created a Kickstarter of some kind uh, and raised enough money to, I don't know. Just do one one grade, I mean, first grade or kindergarten or something. Um, it seemed to me that uh, there was very little content being actually delivered. Um, you know, in my son's class, we heard, and I heard this from other people as well, that half of the kids didn't turn in any work at all. And they kept on reducing the requirements uh, for the online classes because the kids weren't doing anything. And in the end, we only had like one hour a day of, of work to do uh, to finish our classwork um, last semester. That was kindergarten. So I'm hoping um, I'm hoping things get better in terms of that. But yeah, hats off to uh, our teachers who had to deal with this and adapted to the crisis. And I don't want to blame anyone, um, but I do think. Well, the thing that we can blame is that, you know, and I didn't speak up either about this. I mean, I was very angry about it, that they were sending him and us to uh, third-party sites. Um, but I didn't want to complain because I wanted to support the teachers. But now I think the semester is over. I'm not going to complain uh, about where I live. I'm just going to talk in general about alternatives 
and uh, really we shouldn't complain. Uh, we should just find her alternatives and do homeschooling in the end. Um, and I think, uh, you know, people complain about um, kids being homeschooled and not socialized. Yeah, I understand that. And I think that should be part of the homeschooling process is the socialization. Um, but honestly, uh, we've had a lot less problems with behavior in school and, you know, less letters coming home uh, from school and teachers complaining about his behavior uh, since he's been homeschooled or virtual schooled. So that's good. I mean, not everyone has kids who have problems, but um, I guess I might. So... Anyway, some pe some people mature in different ways and in different speeds, and um, I definitely also uh, matured at different rates. Uh, some pl places, some ways, I was uh, immature for a long time, and uh, you know, everyone's going to learn at their own speed. Yeah, little anecdotes um, or little. I was listening to this uh, survival podcast. He talks about this whole homeschooling issue a lot, and he really nails it. Um, Jack Spierko, and he also had someone on talking about unschooling, where basically the lady signed her kids up for uh, homeschool and then basically didn't do any homeschooling um, and let them play Counter-Strike all day, and she said her kids turned out fine. Um, I thought that was kind of interesting, and she was basically saying that all learning is self-directed, from the beginning when you're born, you're a self-directed learner, and um, people explore what's interesting to them. You know, my kid was learning about Pokemon for a long time, or then Legos, and so forth and so forth. Now he's into Minecraft. Um, and uh, that self-directed learning is the natural state. Of course, you have state-directed learning when you go to school. And the question is how to get that to mesh together. So that's something to think about. Uh, I hope, uh, and we could talk about the technologies for uh, delivery. Um, Big Blue Button is an open source uh, tool for running classrooms online. And there's more, there's absolutely a lot of uh, different options. And as I said, how much of it really has to be live? And how much of it do we have to change? I mean, can't we just create a static file, like that, a non-changing file, and put it onto a server and just deliver it as needed? Um, can't we reuse those files across millions and millions of students? I mean, how many times do they have to change? Like, how many different ABC rhymes do we really need? Um, so... I think it's really, um, there's a humongous waste of, uh, of resources going on, and uh, we could start um, consolidating them. And I think that's kind of what's happening, but it's happening on the corporate level, and maybe that's just the way things are in America, and they have to happen on a corporate level, so maybe the solution is to create a corporation that does it in the right way, not the wrong way, in like a non-profit type situation. Uh, where we're not trying to maximize the profits, so to say. I mean, sure, maximizing the profits is fine, reducing the cost is fine, uh, but not at the expense of our uh, data. And um, 
on that topic uh, before I lose it. Yeah, exactly. Someone was saying, I don't remember who, they said, well, in America, is something ethical? It's just the question of, is it legal? So if something is legal, then it is ethical. That's the definition. And um, if companies are doing legal uh, collection of data and profiling of your kid, and the schools are sending them that willingly out of uh, laziness or lack of ability, um, then that is uh, ethical because it's legal. And until we uh, change the laws, until we actually uh, raise these concerns and bring them up to our representatives uh, in a coordinated fashion and also uh, ask and also choose representatives who care about these things, um, not much is going to happen. Um, so the Pirate Party uh, in Germany, um, in Europe, is very interesting in this respect about uh, data protection. And the Germans know all about data protection after going through the Stasi and the Nazis and all that, so uh, they're very much more hip to it. America has never had their Stasi moment, even with Snowden, more like, oh yeah, whatever. So, um... I think, uh, you know, we can learn a lot from outside. Um, yeah. So, uh, thanks for listening, and I hope you like the audio quality of this podcast, and uh, I'll be doing some more um, home podcasts like this in the future. So stay tuned, and thanks for listening. Bye-bye.